listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to Friday. I hope you're feeling good. I hope you don't feel too panicked or upset that you've been shamed by a 16-year-old Swedish teenager who has come to this continent and to this country to point out that those in power are not doing enough to save this planet. And she has scowled and she has stomped her foot. And I don't mean to make light of it because it has obviously caught the attention of the world's youth. And today, so many of them are out of class and participating in this demonstration for climate change. Let's not fool ourselves into believing that everybody there is there to talk about climate change. I happen to know a certain high schooler who told me today, I don't want to go to this thing. It's not my deal. I said, well, you can go to class. And he said, it's not going to be anybody in class. How lame is that going to be? So it's just an afternoon off. So there's that. Justin Trudeau just has said just in the last couple of minutes, he will release a fully costed platform And that's going to be out before the debate next week, next Wednesday on TVA. Of course, a lot of criticism of the liberals who have promised just pretty much everything and have yet to specify exactly how they're going to pay for that. Uh, And Greta Thunberg, of course, has met with the prime minister in Montreal, probably frowned at him. Thunberg saying that she delivered the same message to to Trudeau that she's given all politicians. He needs to listen. He needs to listen to the science. Now, she goes on to say that the prime minister is, quote, obviously not doing enough, but stresses she's focused on the bigger picture, not just one single leader. Here is Justin Trudeau this morning talking about being scolded by a 16-year-old. I was extremely pleased uh, with uh, both the tone, the thoughtfulness, uh, and the approach she has to challenge all of us to do more, including me. Yeah. You've been in power for the last four years. He goes on to say, yeah, we need to do more. Okay. Before we go on with the climate strike, and we're going to check in with Priya Sam, who is reporting live for Global News on what's going on around the city today. First, who wants to go camping? Anybody? I love the great outdoors. Maybe you don't. Maybe you've said things like, you, uh, you'd have to pay me to go camping. Well, apparently Justin Trudeau heard you, because he's going to do exactly that. This is from John Iverson of the National Post talking about Justin Trudeau in his canoe photo op in Sudbury yesterday, where he announced that he's going to create a $2,000 travel bursary to send 75,000 families camping for up to four days in a national or provincial park. The program officially, quote-unquote, A camping experience for every kid in Canada sounds like a dodgy holiday scam, but it's too real. And it's going to add another $150 million to the deficit when it's fully implemented. $150 million to go camping. This also from John Iveson. If the first objection to this is that governments shouldn't be paying for people to go on vacation, the second is that almost every Alternative use for those dollars is more appropriate than the Experience Canada program. Mr. Trudeau was asked about this just this morning, just a few moments ago. Here is Justin Trudeau on his pledge to send us camping. We know that families increasingly want to have opportunities with their families to get out there, discover, enjoy our nature, and we want to raise a new generation 
of young people who understand how important nature is in the fight against climate change in building a stronger future. This is a, a program and an approach that has been roundly supported by the families who've been able to participate in it and we want to make sure that more families who want these opportunities have the opportunity to do that. Yeah, sure. The people we gave money to, to go to go camping, who went camping, they said this was great. No kidding. Are you kidding me? Are you to tell me like a family of four barely scraping by, living somewhere in Toronto, can't you know can't afford a transit pass? They're using the food bank. Justin Trudeau's like, I too, I get two grand for you. It's like sweet. You got to go camping. What? What do you mean I got to go camping to get the two grand? We are clearly in the silly season. I mean, we thought last week with the blackface scandal we were in ridiculousness territory. But now we are in just the kind of just dumb portion of the campaign where we just get promises after promises after promises. And each one seems to be more silly than the last. This one from the Trudeau liberals just is a head scratcher. So we got that on one side. Justin Trudeau wants to give taxpayer money to uh, people to go camping. Andrew Scheer wants to give people uh, taxpayer money to send their kids to soccer camp. We just don't seem to be dealing with what the real issues are. And I just one more thing on blackface. Did you hear this? This is a little bit of a fallout from the whole blackface thing. The chief of the St. Albert, Alberta Fire Department has now been suspended without pay for two weeks. Why? He wore blackface to a private party three years ago. He dressed up as Lenny Kravitz, which was before he was employed by the city of St. Albert. Uh, the chief says he has posted an apology for the images and realizes that costume. Are you going to go my way? No, that's offensive. Well, I'm devastated. That's yeah, I'm I'm devastated by that. It's not where my heart is. That is Bernd Gretzinger, who has been suspended for two day for two weeks, pardon me, without pay for wearing a blackface costume. He is the chief of the Saint Albert Fire Department in Alberta. Let's get back to the climate strike, shall we? And what is going on around the city? Maria Sam is reporting on this for Global News and is live at Queen's Park. Joins me on the line. Hi, Priya. Hi, Alan. Set the scene for me. What's happening at Queen's Park? Well, the rally, uh, the beginning, the first rally just finished here at Queen's Park. Now everyone is heading uh, over to Wellesley. They're going to march through the streets of downtown. Uh, you might be able to hear some of the music in the background. There's a lot of music, chanting, uh, a lot of interesting uh, signs here. Uh, it's interesting, too, because there, there are a lot of young people, um, but a lot of families here. So uh, multi-generational families here uh, kind of coming out to support the youth who are really the ones who organize this whole event and who are behind this movement. Uh, well, you talked to some parents today, and I want to play this for you because including included in some of these parents that you talked to uh, is a teacher from the TDSB talking about supporting young people who have left class en masse today. Let's have a listen to that. The climate strike has this opportunity to um, instill the ideas and the narrative that the United Nations declarations on the rights of Indigenous people and free prior and informed consent is a direct solution to our climate crisis. I think it's really important for teachers to be here to, uh, to support the young people who are demonstrating leadership and taking leadership 
leadership and show that we are proud of them, that we are going to continue to do this work, that we are going to bring lessons into our classrooms that are talking about climate justice and the climate crisis and do so in a way that isn't going to frighten children, but is going to inspire them to action. This building where we currently stand in front of um, is where a lot of the power has been held over the past year that's made decisions that cut things like OSAP for students, which helps them go to school. Um, it's cut environmental programs, uh, indigenous programs, things that are really vital to building good community life here in Toronto. And I think that we really want to tell Doug Ford that we want bold climate action now. Those are some of the adults that were at uh, Queen's Park earlier this morning, speaking with Priya Sam, who is covering the climate march today in Toronto. And Priya, one of the adults you talked to there was a teacher saying supporting kids. How much uh, presence of TDSB and educational workers do you see? Not a lot. So the TDSB, what they um, had decided to do was to, so they did not stop classes or anything today, but they did ask teachers to kind of lighten the load a little today, to not schedule any tests today, uh, to not penalize students who had permission to go from their parents. But of course, that means that teachers had to be in class. So the teacher we spoke to this morning was able to use a personal day uh, to be here, but of course, a limited number of those uh, to go around today. She also did note that uh, schools in different cities chose to handle this differently. So in Montreal today, for example, all schools were closed, so all students uh, could attend the uh, climate-related events there. Uh, Vancouver also allowed their teachers to take students to the climate rally there as part of as a field trip. Uh, some teachers here had planned to do that, and the TDSB said in the end they would not allow that. So uh, those plans had to be canceled. Priya Sam is a Global News reporter, and you can see more of what's happening at Queen's Park and what is about to transpire in the downtown core, which is a little bit more traffic chaos, apparently, Priya, as that march gets underway. That's uh, right. Expect a lot of that. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Priya. Appreciate you being on the program. An incredible piece of video has now been made public as of midnight at 12.01 this morning. The taped interview between police and Alec Manassian was released to the media and has now been publicized in a number of places. You can see our coverage on globalnews.ca. It does not contain the entire uh, unedited videotape, and there are reasons for that. But I will go into a little bit what is in this tape and what it says about Mr. Manassian and what it says about the danger of things like 4chan and other places where deeply disturbed people can go and find a community and find inspiration in other horrendous acts. Hours after allegedly mowing down pedestrians with a rented van, Alec Manassian told Toronto police that he was part of a quote-unquote incel community of young men angry that they could not attract women. Referring to his rented rider van as a tool for rebellion, the 26-year-old said he was an involuntary celibate or incel, described his goal as shaking, quote, the foundations of the world. I feel like I accomplished my mission, Manassian responded when a detective asked him how he felt that 10 people had died in the April 23rd attack. That on April 23rd, 2018, of course. Eight of those killed in that attack were women. Another 16 people were injured. Here, 
is a chilling back and forth as the detective asked Manassian about the families of the victims. I'm going to ask you this because uh, it's important. Um, Ten people died here today. Um, Fifteen people were seriously injured. Um, I think it's important to ask how you feel about that. I feel like uh, I accomplished my mission. You feel like you accomplished your mission? Yes. Okay. If the families of those people who were murdered and were injured were in this room right now, what would you say to them? I honestly don't know what I would say. Would you apologize? I honestly don't know. That is Alec Manassian, who allegedly killed 10 people when driving a van down Young Street in 2018. In that video footage, Manassian comes across, as you heard there, as entirely unrepentant. Plus, he talks about his infatuation with Elliot Roger, who killed six people near the University of California, Santa Barbara, on May 23, 2014. Roger left a misogynistic manifesto complaining that women would not sleep with him, and that has inspired others, like, allegedly, Manassian's actions. Here he is in communication, talking in this interview, talking about how he had actually talked with Elliot Rogers before Rogers took his own life. I believe that he told me that uh, other members of uh, uh, 4chan were giving him uh, encouraging support so that he would have the courage to uh, start his rebellion. Right, 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 okay. And so you last speak to him on March 20th. May 20th. May 20th, I'm sorry, May 20th, 2014. Yes. He commits his 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 acts on the 23rd of May. Yes. And uh, when did you learn that uh, what he had done? I saw it on the news later that night. Later on the, on the 23rd? Yes. Okay, and what did you think? Uh, I thought that I came to the understanding that this is the mission that he had to uh, carry out. Okay, all right. And anything else? I felt kind of uh, proud of him for uh, his acts of bravery. Okay, all right. And what about uh, how you started to, 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 to change your thinking? Was, was, any of the, was, was, that, was any of that going on? I was starting to feel uh, radicalized at that time. That is Alec Manassian speaking with Toronto Police Detective hours after he allegedly drove a van down Young Street killing 10. And he's talking there about Elliot Roger, who killed six people in Santa Barbara in 2014. Now, like Roger, Manassian calls his attack a quote-unquote day of retribution. And as you heard there, he claimed to have communicated with Roger. He also claimed to have communicated with Chris Harper Mercer, who killed nine people in Oregon in October of 2015. But Global News has not independently confirmed that he did actually communicate with either Roger or Harper Mercer. But the interview highlights how some individuals use anonymous messaging boards on websites like 4chan to spread violent ideas. Manassian said 
He'd been active in the alt-right 4chan discussion groups since 2014. And here is Andrew Russell of Global News Online talking about Manassian's mental state during this interview with police. It's difficult to say. A judge has already said, you know, this trial is going to focus on his mental state. Now, I don't know if that's going to mean they're going to, the defense is going to try to offer a not criminally responsible defense, um, but he does seem very lucid. Uh, it sounds very calculated, or the testimony anyways, and we're going to have to see in February um, how this evidence plays into it. Now, the interview was conducted by Detective Rob Thomas of the Toronto Police Sex Crimes Unit. And it began at 10.46 p.m., barely nine hours after the attack, which lasted seven minutes and ended with Manassian's arrest. Here, in another chilling segment of that interview, Manassian describes how he carries out the van attack. You're at a stoplight, you said? Yes. You're at, and now, are you faced with a red light? You're stopped? Uh, yes, but as soon as it turned green, I uh, started going. Okay, and... T- just walk me through this, okay, step by step. So it turns green, and what are you thinking? I'm thinking that uh, this is it. I see all these people. It's uh, time to uh, go for it. Time to go for it. And what do you do? I uh, floor the pedal. Yep. I speed the van towards them, and I uh, allow the van to uh, collide with them. Okay. And then what happens? Uh, some people get knocked out of the way. Some people roll o- over the top of the van. Okay. And then what, what happens? I uh, continue doing that until... Um, I, in fact, actually, to be honest, the only reason I stopped my attack was because someone's drink got splashed on my uh, windshield, and I was worried that I would uh, crash the van anyway, so I decided, okay, now... I wanted to do more, but I've kind of been foiled by a lack of visibility. So then that's when I uh, pulled, I turned right and I pulled, and I saw the cops approaching, so I decided to pull over and get out of my van. That is Alec Manassian talking about how he carried out the attack that killed 10 people in a beverage on the window. Incredible to think that a man driving down the street randomly killing strangers would be concerned about crashing a van. It is incredible. It is difficult to listen to, and we're going to have more on that on Global News Radio throughout the course of the day and, of course, tonight on Global News 530 and 6. I want to talk about cannabis, and this weekend on Focus Ontario, my guest is the Vice President of Corporate Affairs and Social Responsibility, at the Ontario Cannabis Store. I want to play that segment for you. The licensing and opening of any new cannabis stores in Ontario is completely frozen right now as a judge decides what to do about the lottery licensing system that has been challenged in court. Just another hiccup in the rollout of legal cannabis sales in this province. And that includes a financial loss of $42 million for OCS, or Ontario Cannabis Store. To talk more about the future of the legal market in Ontario, I am pleased to welcome David Lobo, Vice President, Corporate Affairs and Social Responsibility at the Ontario Cannabis Store. Thanks for coming in on To Focus. Thanks for having me. Let's start with that headline, $42 million. How do you lose money selling weed? We had to build a secure online site where people across the province could buy uh, cannabis from, and we had to set up you know, warehousing and distribution capacity uh, to support stores. 
How much uh, chaos did the change from a public system under the previous Liberal government to a change to a private system under the Ford government, how much chaos did that cause? It was quite a bit of work. It was uh, just over a year ago that the government announced the change, and uh, we were getting ready for October 17th. So uh, we had to pivot, we had to focus on it launching OCS.ca, and we had to wind down the store activity that we were doing at that point in time. What is the, obviously between private and public ownership, what is the major difference in terms of administration with a new private system? Uh, well, with the private system, we've got stores that can cater to their communities a little bit better. Uh, so we're working to support them. We're getting them their supply. Uh, uh, but ultimately, they're the ones that, that manage that relationship with the customers and, and sell the product in stores. The licensing system, as I mentioned, has been thrown to disarray. It's frozen right now. We don't know what's going to happen. What does yeah. that mean for actually getting new stores open? So for us, we're, we're eager for that process to, to figure itself out so that we can work with those retailers to get those stores open. We've only got 24 stores in the province right now. Uh, we want these extra 50 stores this fall uh, so we can help combat the legal market. In, in terms of getting these stores open and up and running, is that going to change your profitability? What, what's the bottom line for OCS next year? It, it could have an impact. Uh, I think you know, we're waiting to see what, what becomes of, of the court procedures, but we're expecting these stores to open sometime this fall. Uh, if that gets delayed a bit, it will have a, a bit of an impact, but you know, we're on stronger footing now, um, and so we'll have to wait and see what becomes of the court case. What's the uh, finance ministry projecting in terms of revenue from marijuana? So right now we're, we're, we're looking at the court case, and, and we're going to see what the impacts of that are, and we'll report through the fall uh, uh, economic statement that the province has of, of what that's going to look like for this financial year. But then you're, you're going to come back to the same sort of headline where people are going to say, how can you not make more money selling weed than this? How's that possible? We are making revenue right now. We've got 24 stores. We've got OCS.ca. So we're on stronger footing than we were last year, but the full impact won't be known until we know what happens with these stores. StatsCan has shown that there is a considerable appetite in this province yeah. for marijuana. But yet we don't have the kind of store capacity that the rest of the, the country has. I think consumers are going to ask why. You know, there's a, there's a big demand that's out there. Uh, we're looking at the Stats Canada's numbers really closely. We need to get more stores. Uh, there was a supply shortage initially. That limited us. Stores in Ontario, they're serving big communities. They need a lot of supply. And so now that supply is opening up, we're hoping we're going to have another 50 stores this fall. Uh, and the government and the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario is going to work to, to set up what's next after that. And we're going to supply those stores as quickly as we can. On the horizon, the legalization of edibles and concentrates. Do you have any confidence that we have the supply required for that? We know that uh, licensed producers have been stockpiling the, the source product that's going to support these products uh, for almost a year. Uh, so we're working with them right now. We know it's going to take time. Over you know, the winter and into 2020, uh, these products are going to come out over time. Uh, but we, we expect to have some out of the gate once they're legal. I'm wondering how the concern about vaping will change the marketing and selling, especially of concentrates yeah. that are used with vape pens. It's a big concern for us now. We're watching the news south of the border really closely. Um, but what we need to do is we need to work with Health Canada, licensed producers and the province to understand what evidence is really there uh, in terms of how this rollout should look. And uh, we know some consumers are going to be nervous and so stores and OCS.ca has got to provide them information about what these regulated products are all about and how to use them safely. So you're not saying at this point 
no vape pens in terms of until we get better evidence the other way. Exactly. We need an evidence-based approach. We need to, to understand what the root causes of these problems are. There's a, a lot of uh, information that's out there right now, but uh, we don't want to jump to any conclusions yet. David Lobo from the Ontario Cannabis Store, thank you so much for being on Focus. Thank you for having me. And you can watch the entire episode of Focus Ontario this weekend, Global News on Global at uh, 5.30 on Saturday and 11.30 Sunday morning after the West Block. Let's talk Trump, shall we? The BBC is facing a backlash after finding that one of its presenters was in breach of editorial guidelines on impartiality for comments that were critical of the U.S. president. Journalists and celebrities are demanding now that the BBC overturn its decision, and they have expressed support for BBC breakfast anchor Naga Muchetti, who was discussing Trump's remark from July 17th that four female American lawmakers should uh, return from the places from which they came. You remember that controversy? The co-anchor on this show asked Munchetti for her opinion, and she responded, quote, Every time I have been told as a woman of color to go back to where I came from, that was embedded in racism. And question further, she said she was, quote, absolutely furious a man in that position thinks it's okay to skirt the lines by using language like that. The BBC has found that that was in contravention of its editorial guidelines and has now said that that journalist was out of line. In Florida, a Florida middle school teacher is being investigated after a parent complained a quiz she gave students referred to the president as an idiot. The principal at Palm Beach Garden School sent a letter to parents apologizing, saying the teacher has been reassigned. The Palm Beach County School District shared with the Associated Press the content of the letter that was sent by the school. And the multiple choice question of the quiz said, quote, the 45th president, 2017, Republican, real estate, businessman, idiot. Given the option to choose among Donald Trump, Richard Nixon, Jimmy Carter, and Ronald Reagan. Meanwhile, at the White House, the White House is scrambling now to respond to that whistleblower's complaint about the Ukraine call that has sparked the impeachment inquiry. The administration was caught off guard by just how fast it all moved, and it's dusting off the playbook it used during the special counsel's Russia probe, relying on Rudy Giuliani to muddy the picture and on GOP allies to provide cover. Then there's the president himself. What these guys are doing, Democrats are doing to this country, is a disgrace. Yesterday, echoing what he said after Robert Mueller's testimony. These people are clowns. Sagar Magani at the White House. By the way, clowns is my favorite insult. I go to that one all the time. What a clown. Here's a guy that is clearly not clownish. It's Jackson Prosco joining us live from Washington. Jackson, what's on tap today in the giant circus down south? 
Wow, I, I uh, appreciate that introduction, Alan. Um, you know, it's sort of a, a wait-and-see moment right now as people wait to see what happens next with this. Uh, the House of Representatives is about to go on a two-week break, but may no, make no mistake, the work of the impeachment investigation is not going to be stopping. In fact, uh, House Intelligence Chair Adam Schiff says they might start the investigation and more hearings on this as early as next week. So this is moving along at a rapid, frenzied pace, and really it's sort of up to the White House what happens next. I think, because each reaction from the president seems to open the door to more potential problems for him. And speaking of more potential problems, we heard in that last report that it seems like the White House strategy is to put Rudy out there, a message from you, Rudy, and that does not always play well. It does not. I mean, uh, Giuliani was trying to make the point last night in interviews that the State Department asked him to carry out this work in Ukraine to dig up dirt on Joe Biden. That opens a whole bunch of other problems up, if in fact that's true. Uh, Giuliani has also oscillated between saying he was acting as the president's lawyer in this case or just doing things out of patriotism. Uh, so that could waive sort of any kind of attorney-client privilege. Uh, make no mistake that through this process, you're going to be seeing Rudy Giuliani called to testify and probably called to testify multiple times to multiple different committees. Has Trump himself expressed any kind of wavering for support for Giuliani? Is he likely to get thrown under the bus? So far, no, but you never know how these things will play out. I mean, you saw Trump almost throw Vice President Mike Pence under the bus a couple of days ago, saying that Pence's interactions with the Ukrainians should be subject to scrutiny here as well. So uh, I think as this continues to get worse, you, you might see a bit of sort of uh, cannibalism within the Trump ranks uh, to, uh, to, to find a word for it here, because uh, I think people are going to start to get increasingly desperate and try and find ways to isolate themselves from what's taking place here. Always lots going on under the big top. South of the border, Jackson Prosco with Global National. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks, Alan. Welcome back to the program. Do you like to eat? Are you hungry? It's kind of that time of the day. I, you know what I could go for? I could go for one of those classic female sandwiches from carousel you know the one that is i mean for a lot of people obviously don't don't dig on the pork but that female sandwich for a lot of people that is the definitive sandwich of the city and it's got to be from carousel and it's got to be from st lawrence market but you can't get one on sundays because apparently it's a sin to eat female on a sunday i don't understand i still don't understand why it is that the st lawrence market is not open on sundays it closes at 5 o'clock on Saturday. Other big markets in North America, I can think of the Granville Island market. I used to live right close to that in Vancouver. It's open on Sundays. You want to go to that famous uh, market in Seattle, have somebody throw a fish at you? You can do that on the Sabbath, no problem. But you can't shop at St. Lawrence Market on a Sunday, and I don't get it. I don't understand it. And actually now, that looks like it might possibly change. At least you're going to have your opportunity to weigh in on all of that. Because coming up, this was tweeted yesterday by St. Lawrence Market. They are reviewing the hours of operation with the objective of optimizing the hours to better support the Toronto and market community. Join us at a public consultation Wednesday, October the 2nd to share your feedback. So keep that in mind. If you would like to see St. Lawrence Market open, 
I can tell you this. I tweeted this yesterday. I got a lot of response. And here's one of the things, one of the responses I got was from Sean O'Shea, our global news consumer reporter. And I recommend you follow him on Twitter, Consumer SOS, or also on Instagram, Consumer SOS. He's on like a month-long trip in Ireland, and it's the greatest travel log I've ever seen. I feel like I've spent a month in Ireland myself, but I, I, but I, I, my point is that he tweeted to me and he said, well, I live right there. I live right at the market. And Sunday is the only day where the crowds aren't madness and it's just not chaos. It's the one nice day of the week to live there. And I think to myself, I think St. Lawrence Market was there before you got there. I know it hasn't been open on Sundays, but anyway, I don't want to pick a fight with Sean O'Shea because he's a tough guy. You know what I mean? Like he'll come digging through my trash and I don't want that. So that's interesting. I'm wondering how you feel about that St. Lawrence Market. Should it be open on Sundays? I vote with my stomach. Yes. Let's talk about what's going on in the world of pop culture. And Mira Estrada is our pop culture expert and join us, joins us here as she does every Friday. Thank you so much. She is the host of Cultured, which is on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. When can I hear Cultured? 8 p.m. Saturday night. It's a date. (laughs) You know what else is a date? The 2nd of February, 2020, me, Jennifer Lopez, and Shakira. Hips don't lie. They are not going to lie. I will be on a couch eating chips. (laughs) They will be on a stage at... Hips definitely don't lie. (laughs) These hips (laughs) are getting bigger every day. Uh, But Jennifer Lopez and Shakira named to headline the Super Bowl. What do you make of that? Um, So J-Lo has said... Like, she has wanted to do this for so long, and especially because it's in Miami. Like, we knew she was feeling this. Like, she had put those little sparks out there. Um, She said she's dreamed of doing this forever, especially given that it's the 100th anniversary. She said in a press release that um, it's extra special to be performing with a fellow Latina. But if you saw the press conference, mixed. Reaction, mixed yeah. vibes there. I watched it during halftime last night in that Green Bay tilt, and I got the vibe. I just I just got the vibe that Lopez is thinking to herself, why am I sharing the stage? I am J-Lo. I'm a big enough draw. I don't need to share with Shakira. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like J-Lo will be more like headliner A- <laughs> Oh, you think you think there's I like think a headliner so. A and B, and Shakira's the B? I'm thinking that like this is J Lo's time. Like, did you see like she broke the internet yes. for the second time? Yes, with that, the dress, with the Versace dress last week. Like, this is where this is what I'm feeling. Um, but I mean, they they draw two different crowds, so I think it's a smart move to have Shakira there as well. But. I think J-Lo wanted this all. I think she wanted it for herself. Oh. I think she's like, what is with this? J-Lo don't share. <laughs> <laughs> the hips don't lie, but J-Lo don't share. Regardless, I think it's going to be pretty phenomenal. Yeah, you, you're looking forward to it. Yeah. And I don't like... I. You don't like football. Yeah, I don't like football. Like yeah. I'm there for the halftime show. Sure. So many people are. And watching that game last night, I tell you what, it, like what it was in the first quarter, a guy's getting hauled off in a stretcher, just a brutal helmet-to-helmet hit. Just, 
And I think I like football, and even I sometimes I watch it and I think, ah, oh, God, this is it's gladiatorial. It just doesn't it doesn't make sense. And you know, how do you square concussions with Shakira? I don't know. It just the two things don't line up. And it, it, and to me, somehow, you know, the way that they're appealing to you know to women of color, to Latinas, to all of the, the, the a lot of those audiences not watching football, mm-hmm. which I guess is why they're doing it. Yeah. And like, uh, what, this all speaks to like Jay Z again, right? Like Jay Z. I don't get that. Is part of this, and he's making these moves. Like, this is not this is not the half halftime show of Maroon Five this year, right? Yeah, like, but so you can see how Jay Z just said last year was saying Super Bowl, you need me, I don't need you. Yeah. And then he signs a deal with him. That I just don't get. I don't yeah. know what's going on. Okay, with Jay. we can do a whole show about that. Uh, but so. Jay, all right, let's, let's move on. Let's, let's move, move on. on to Jessica Simpson. So yes, yeah, so she has um, just revealed that she has lost a whopping hundred pounds. A C note. Yes, after um, six months after delivering um, her third child daughter, Birdie Mae. We'll get into the name <laughs> wait, later. Wait a minute. How, how, how big was the baby? Was the baby like 95 pounds? So I, I get really frustrated when these celebrities talk about their weight loss. Like, yeah. Because right after that, her celebrity trainer said, you know, Jessica Simpson has worked so hard. And like, I think back to like, you know, I've had two children, like. It's so much pressure. You see these, yeah. you see these celebrity magazines. Blah blah's lost all her weight. Six weeks, like eight weeks. You know, even six months. Like, you know, a hundred pounds is a significant amount. Like four years later, I still have a few pounds to go. You know, and so we don't have access to the personal trainer, the personal chef, all of these different things. I just wish they would put the focus away from that because. It's not helpful. And we talked earlier this week uh, about Instagram face. And, you know, the the, the Kardashians have now made that sort of, you know, pumped up lip and the the high cheekbone and the giant eyelashes. Now that is the the, beauty standard. Yeah, we're actually talking to, uh, we have a plastic surgeon coming on the show today to talk about that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, You know, because... Any discounts? Because I need a little work. No, right? Like so many young people, it's not regulated. And so many young people... It's a scary time because they don't have the means. These are not, it's not buying mascara. This is like, you know. This is altering your face. Yeah, and it's also expensive. Yeah, no kidding. And because it's not regulated. Joker opens this weekend. And there's some controversy about where it will play. So it's so crazy because it hasn't even, like it opens October 4th. But the amount of think pieces that have. Oh, two weeks, sorry, pardon me. Yeah, like think pieces that have come out, like the amount of like polarized, like. Is this film dangerous? Landmark Cinemas has come out and said people cannot come dressed up, like no masks are allowed, no costumes are allowed to make people feel safe in the theaters. So like the amount of, um, you know, like controversy this is causing and like upset it's causing to people just by seeing the trailer, like people have not even seen the film besides the two festivals. Of course, there, there, there was the mass shooting that was, you know, linked to Dark Knight Rises, right? Yeah, but so this is the thing, right? Like there's even controversy in that because you look at the studies, studies show like there's a study by the U.S. justice system. I think it's goes back, I think, 60 years, like looking at looking at shooters, like what causes them to, to do these things, none of it relates to, to actual movies. It's tra- traumatic events that have happened in their lives and all of these different things. None of them are actually violent video games or violent movies. 
And what's also interesting is there's been some people saying that there's a bit of an undertone of incel. And yes. obviously that is there big is that. in the yeah. news today. And we, we see from the Manassian videotaped interview that it was others and the violent acts of others that inspired his violent acts. So that's concerning. Mira, always great to have you on the radio program. Mira Estrada is a pop culture expert and the host of Cultured, which you can hear on this radio station Saturday nights at 8 p.m. Thanks again for being here.